Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. Welcome to Peoples and Things, a podcast about human life with technology. I'm your host, Lee Vinsel, an associate professor of science, technology, and society at Virginia Tech. You can reach me with comments and suggestions at leevinsel at gmail.com or on Twitter at STS underscore news. I would love to hear from you. episode with archaeologist Kate Freeman on her book, The Archaeology of Innovation, which covers examples from the entire span of human history. I talked about how a profound recentism marks technology studies. So much chatter, including by scholars who should know better, focuses on recent, especially digital technologies. In some academic circles, There is literally more attention paid to so-called emerging technologies, which are just promissory notes, than there is to technologies that actually fucking exist in the world and are creating actual agonies right now today. It's a tendency to focus on what my friend historian David Brock calls wishful worries. Do you know what I mean? I'm sure that you do, because it's obvious and it's madness. And Kate Freeman's book is a wonderful antidote to this problem. Today, I want to talk about a related issue, which is how much technology studies has prioritized the United States, Europe, and sometimes selected rich nations like Japan. I don't think this will surprise any of you, but focusing on the USA, Europe, and a couple rich nations is a shitty way to think about technology in the rest of the world. Now, there have always been exceptions to this Western rich tilt of technology studies, but not nearly enough of them. I truly believe the expansion of work done on Latin America 
Africa and Asia is one of the most important developments in science and technology studies today. And I'm proud to say that some of my colleagues, friends, and students are leading the charge. I think we need to do everything in our power to elevate those voices. And we also need to do something even trickier, which is to amplify and support scholars who are working inside the places we need to learn from. I hope to do much more of that on this podcast. You should hold me to it. It's in the general spirit of what I've said so far that I was so, so excited for a recent book to come out. It's called Electrifying Mexico, Technology and the Transformation of a Modern City. And it's by Diana Montano, an assistant professor of history at Washington University in St. Louis. Electrifying Mexico tells the rich story of how Mexico City adopted electricity in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. And Diana is a genius at finding examples and stories that will knock your socks off. And she does that work in the service of challenging the presumption that in adopting technologies, poorer countries are also adopting the values of richer nations. They are their own places and peoples. I think you're going to like Diana a lot. I had a blast with her. You'll see. Get excited. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Good afternoon, Lee. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk about uh, the book and my future projects with you Sweet. today. Um, Electrifying Mexico is a wonderful book. Like, I'm not using hyperbole here. It's one of the books I've been looking forward to most this year, and it, it didn't disappoint me at all. So when you talk to strangers about the book... If that's something we even do anymore during like these weird COVID <laughs> times, uh, what do you tell them it, it's about and what you were trying to do with it? Well, it's I mean, it's funny because I mean, every time since I began, you know, putting together the project, every time I, I would tell someone, they will at first have like a, 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 a death look in them. Like what? And then once I began, you know, talking, they will they will feel really at mm -hmm. home in telling me about their own experiences with the technology. Mm -hmm. So so it, I, it, it has been received very well yeah. <laughs> whenever I talked about it. So uh, I pretty much say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the, at the making of electrified spaces and I'm looking at how people actually led that transformation, how they actually were the agents, they were the ones deciding uh, to what extent they would uh, uh, electrify certain spaces and then how they went about navigating those mm -hmm. spaces, uh, how they identify, how they interpret electricity, how it changed their lives uh, and how they uh, saw themselves and their nation as modern through electricity. Mm -hmm. You open the book with a, a lovely vignette from an 1883 novel um, whose English title will be something like The Provincials. And the, in the story, a kind of fine lady worries about that she's going to go blind upon seeing electric streetlights in, in Mexico City for the first time. And she declares them a kind of barbarity. She's saying, like, you know, luckily we don't have these where I'm from. Uh, it's such a kind of juicy opener and I was just like wondering how how did you did you come across it and and do you think it was indicative of how folks other folks saw electricity at that time? 
Yes, I actually didn't find it until like maybe I was uh, halfway done mm-hmm. through that chapter. And this is a chapter that actually was a, was initially two chapters. So the first chapter was two and uh, one and two, and then eventually it, it was uh, a monster. <laughs> so I had to break it down. And uh, you know, my my former advisor uh, from the dissertation, he kept saying, you know, you need to cut this down. Uh, and anyway, so I took his advice and, and, and I, I began to separate those two. So it was in that division uh, that I came across, you know, uh, the novel. And I used a number of novels in, in um, for the first for the first uh, uh, chapter. So Los Fuereños, it, it's a well-known novel for for um, hmm. 19th century Mexico. And in particular, Jose Tomas de Cuella uh, was critical of the transformations mm-hmm. of the city. So I, I wanted, you know, those types of, of yeah. assessments. Uh, assessments that are that, that not only applauded or celebrated, yeah. right, the transformations, but were a little bit more critical. And what it's really interesting is that I found this vignette, I found this scene after I had gone through putting together this conversation on how doctors were looking at the effects of electricity and were discussing whether or not there were health issues, mm-hmm. right? That th- whether or not uh, electrical lighting uh, uh, was a public health mm-hmm. issue. So it was the other oh, way around. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> so so it was really yeah. neat, right? It's, uh, sometimes it's the other way around in which you find, you know, some artistic, you know, uh, coverage of, of a certain transformation. And then you want to find the real thing, whether or not it echoes reality. But in this, in this case, I found reality first, and then I I, I found yeah. the way in which you know it was transferred uh, by by this uh, you know beautiful pen of of Thomas Aquinas. Yeah, and so, so I mean that just makes me wonder: um, is this an is this an author who, if you know Mexican literature, is known for kind of reflecting on technological modernity? And the reason I ask is because I was reading recently reading. Um, the Austrian novelist from the early 20th century, Robert Musil, uh, who a friend turned me on to. And I just found like it's full of technological stuff, but no one had ever told mm-hmm. me like, go read this novel because it's full of technology. So I just wonder, is this something the author was kind of is kind of known for by other folks or is it just, you know, they're writing about life and, and so there's technology in there? I think so. I think that he's writing about life in general. He's not only writing about uh, urban areas, but also, you know, uh, villages in the mm-hmm. highlands. Uh, but he's also, he's tracking down. So he has a really uh, good eye, right, to identify those minutes, uh, those instances in which there's something that it's it's uh, having an impression on people and they're reacting, yeah. right? Uh, so so that's why I, I fell in love with, with his pen. And, and the same goes to, you know, Federico Gamboa, who is the other well-known novelist for the Porfiriato, uh, for the period that the first half of the book actually mm-hmm. covers from 1876 to 1910, uh, 1911. Uh, so so I was, um, I actually paused, you know, after uh, putting aside the monster of the chapter as it was, and then I, I, I kept going back to 
to these novels. And you, you know, it's a, such a such a fresh breath to read novels, you know, when you're doing, particularly when you're doing oh, man. A, a really dry <laughs> topic, right? Because, because, and it is, you know, we historians of technology, we know how dry our topics can be. can be. So so we, we actually have to fight, yeah. right? Uh, and, and we have to find, uh, you know, those, those moments in which, you know, we can capture the attention of the reader. Uh, so I said, you know, I, I've been looking at, uh, you know, the development of of uh, electrical lighting. Uh, so, so, you know, a lot of technical dry uh, literature and I, I needed a mm -hmm. break. Uh, and uh, and I was also looking at, you know, the different contracts between the different companies and um, the ayuntamiento, the, the municipal government in Mexico City. So I needed a break from yeah. all of that. And uh, so I, I turned to the novels and uh, it is in looking at the novels that I, I began, you know, looking for, you know, the reflections, how the reflection of electric lighting was captured, yeah. right? So, so there's a lot on, on shadows. So I was like, <laughs> I was captured by those. I'm like, okay, there's something mm -hmm. here. Uh, and that's that's how, you know, I, I went back to uh, looking for literature on, on um, lightscapes yeah. and the, the culture of light and the study of light in general. Yeah. So... Oh. I thought you did like a really yeah, it's, wonderful it's a nice... job throughout the book. I mean, I think you're really good at catching kind of perceptual stuff and where people are really tapping into how it looks. You know, I remember one demonstration. I can't remember what chapter this one was in, but it was like they were really screwing up this light thing they're trying to set up. And you said it like just looked melancholic and kind of sad. And it was just like just finding these really juicy moments where it's like you know people were describing how it looked because i think we can get so far mm -hmm. away from that when we're writing about like electrical systems and you know we're just talking about bureaucrats or whatever so yeah yeah definitely i mean it, it was it was uh and, and i mean i hope i had encountered you know uh, the study of the census mm -hmm. uh, earlier on, because I would have become, I think, <laughs> a historian yeah. of the census. Uh, but uh, yeah, so, so the sensorial reaction, there, there's a lot there. And, and I think looking back, you know, you're never done with the book. Yeah, That's yeah, the whole definitely. Thing, right? So you, I, I would, you know, think about the sensorial uh, in terms of electricity, not only in terms of, of light, but sound mm -hmm. as well and yeah. smell, right? So the accidents in particular, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so, so yeah, definitely. I, 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 I really looking back, you know, after, as I said, after spending a lot of time, uh, flipping to contracts, you know, and, and discussion about the different, uh, uh, regulations and all of that, you know, it, it was really good for me to move away from that and get a sense of, uh, of, of those moments in which, there were other things that were being captured. Uh, you know, the way people interpreted light, the way in which, uh, how it actually uh, lit certain spaces and how it left others in the darkness. A darkness that was different, which is, you know, fascinating way of looking, you know, at shadows. Who would have thought, you know, I, I would be looking at shadows and that would be something fascinating yeah. for me. So how'd you, get, how'd you start down this road? How'd you pick the topic? How'd you come to write? about this stuff uh about electricity yeah. in particular uh, it, it's a really boring backstory because mm -hmm. <laughs> my advisor was the one that you know he mentioned like three or four <laughs> topics and this is and this is prior to me entering history so oh. i don't have 
Uh, I have a master's in Latin American uh -huh. studies, and I was doing social policy mm -hmm. uh, for my thesis. So I did a thesis on social policy and uh, hometown associations. Those are associations established by Mexican Mexican migrants in the United States, and then how they send money back to uh, be a remittances or other ways, you know, to their hometowns to. Uh, uh, create mm -hmm. jobs, right? So I was I was fascinated by that type of social policy and those type of of, of um, programs, and I did research in LA with those hometown associations, and then I went down to Michoacan in southern Mexico, and then in the north, uh, close to my hometown. Uh, so I was I was doing that type of really you know grounded ethnography mm -hmm. almost research, and then I turned to history for my PhD huh. and um, we were talking about different topics because my my uh, my advisor William Bisley he had been my advisor for mm -hmm. the masters uh, so he's he's the one that you know pulled me uh, to to history actually and we we're talking about a number of, of of uh, themes, uh, subjects that had had been unexplored, and, and he mentioned electricity, and I was like, "Oh no, <laughs> forget about it!" Right? So I, I would brush aside a lot, a lot of things, like you know, many advisors yeah. give you a lot of feedback, and you just brush a lot aside. And 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 so for that, you know, it, it sounded really mm -hmm. boring, right? Because for me, it was uh, the way I saw it was, well, he wants me to actually document the development of the national grid. And I was like, no, yeah. no that's not yeah. going to happen, right? But then I turned to look at uh, some of the historiography for the U.S. Uh, so one of the first books that I uh, read uh, was uh, Linda uh, uh, Darklight. Uh, and it was uh, the main story or the highlight of the book has to do with the invention of the electric chair. Okay. Uh -huh. Right. And the electric chair and then uh, uh, the battle uh, between Edison and Westinghouse. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, so all of that and, and the display, you know, the expeditionary yeah. uh, um, context of the second half of the 19th century, uh, as well as, you know, the, the electric chair itself, you know, capture my attention just because of the way in which people were responding yeah. to something that it was supposed to be this modern way of killing yeah. people right and it turned to be something that was horrific yeah. right at, at, at the beginning because they didn't know how to measure how to actually uh uh, uh provide enough electricity to kill someone and and so the effect were horrific and and the press itself you know they 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 wanted to mm -hmm. end it uh so it was it was really interesting to see that and, and how people debated this um so I, I went back then and 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 say, well, maybe there are other ways, right, of looking at this topic, which are not as dry as I thought. And then I I obviously uh, went to read uh, uh, Electrifying yeah. America, which you know my my book copies. Oh, uh, obviously yeah. that the yeah, and and that's you know, funny. I didn't was, even think was, about that. This is a famous book by David yeah. Nye. For... <laughs> yes, I mean, and, and there has been. I, I think I went to a conference uh, uh maybe a couple months ago and one of the first things that uh uh this scholar said you know people have to be more creative with titles if there's like electrifying everything right and i was like oh my <laughs> book is about to come out <laughs> yeah he has that title i'm like okay i guess 
right? Because there's a lot of like electrifying yeah. Europe, you know, electrifying India and all of that. And I'm like, yes, I guess, you know, I just went with it. But yes, so that's, you, you know, it, it was the way in which social historians had documented uh, electricity and electrification in the U.S. that actually caught my attention. And that's how I, I you know, I, 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 I said, well, yes, I'll, I'll go ahead and look into it. Right on. <laughs> and I mean, I may, maybe you've already said this, basically, but was there, there wasn't much written about electricity and electrification of Mexico or in Latin America more broadly when you were getting started? Was the literature pretty small? Uh, well, it was <laughs> going back to the dryness. It, it was it mm. was a, one that, you know what, uh, that uh, uh, was asking yeah, different yeah. questions. That's the whole thing, right? It was asking questions about yeah. the industry. So they were uh, dedicated to, you know, capital, the infrastructure yeah. and the companies. There's a a fixation yep. with the companies, following the stories of the companies and what they did, uh, how they negotiated, the power that they held. And then the whole thing about, you know, nationalization, uh, denationalization, privatization, all of that, like that was like the mm -hmm. main, uh, um, like the bulk I would say of the historiography mm -hmm. was there, and it wasn't by historians. Yeah. I mean, it was uh, political scientists. You know, uh, other individuals that were interested in you know uh, the economic and political aspects of electricity. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. So there was very little. Uh, there was one uh, when I began. There was one dissertation on on uh, public lighting. Uh, in Mexico City, uh, and it was a dissertation that eventually became a book. Hmm. Uh, uh, while I, I I finished my my book, uh, obviously, and uh, yeah, but but it was really you know it was just uh, uh, public lighting itself and not uh, others. Um, and so there were a number, obviously, of also uh, government mandated or or sponsor. Uh, books, uh -huh, uh, sure. assessments of the industry, uh, particularly after the revolution, when they want to quant quantify, mm -hmm. right, and and, and and make an assessment of how far or what was needed mm -hmm. uh, in terms to develop the industry. Yeah. We have those kind of dry and dry as dust uh, histories here in the states too, of like the the you know the elect the nuclear electric power industry and stuff like that. So. Uh, we have our share. Yeah, I mean, and, and they have a yeah, lot of totally. data, which yeah. is great. No, they're <laughs> crucially important, but... Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not like you know that that I started at zero. Yeah. Like it's it's just my questions were different, but you know, at the end of the day, I I need to use that mm -hmm. to to uh, uh, assess as well the expansion. Oh, and, totally, and, and, and speak the numbers as well. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean. You're always very happy as a scholar when those things exist. It's just, <laughs> it's not something you read for funsies. You know, it's more like. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so part of what you want to do in the book is uh, complicate a kind of simple diffusionist view of mm -hmm. technologies where complex technologies are created in rich European, U.S., like, places and then kind of diffuse out to poorer countries and get used there. So say a bit more about the role that kind of like theories and thinking the way thinking about technology has informed your approach and and also what you found in the historical, you know, to kind of illustrate this for listeners, like when you think about complicating that diffusionist picture, first of all, think about how you think about it theoretically and then just kind of use some examples that of stuff you found in the archive that kind of makes that picture more complicated. Yes. So, so uh, I mean, this diffusionist model, the one that, you know, privileges uh, the North Atlantic, mm -hmm. 
the industrial north. Uh, uh, not only does it uh, privilege those areas uh, of the world, but then it privileges innovation yeah, yeah. and dispersal, <laughs> right? So so then at, at the expense of that, we leave adaptation and use mm-hmm. out. Uh, so uh, in, in those histories, then uh, technology becomes the old powerful, yeah. right? The unstoppable force. Uh, and it it obviously, for us, doing histories of the global south in particular it leaves no space for agency mm-hmm. uh, so there, there's no agency uh, uh conceded to local societies uh, we, uh they remained uh you know as perpetual consumers consumers of other people's technologies technologies develops elsewhere and uh obviously it it then uh also has to do with uh um importing uh, mm-hmm. modernity, right? The modernity that it is, uh, the parameters of modernity, the experiences, they're all, you know, designed and, uh, uh, in a sense, conceptualized abroad, and then they're just imported. Uh, so so it, in in that sense, I, I, I like what uh, uh, Thomas Nisa recommends, right? Of, of giving us uh, the challenge of thinking of different groups and cultures and how they appropriate the same technology and then go on to use it for different mm-hmm. ends. Uh, so then far from dictating how a technology uh, uh, must be used, then te- we encounter technologies that are interacting deeply with society, right? And, and with the culture. Uh, so in, in that interactions, you have uh, resistance, accommodation, acceptance, and even enthusiasm, mm-hmm. right? So you have all of those, it, it, that complexity, right? The texture. So so it is then for us to untangle those connections. And, and as, as I said, you know, um, we want to look closely at individual technologies, uh, but then really inquire carefully into the social and cultural processes that those uh, technologies are uh, uh, undergoing uh, when they 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 arrive or they are imported mm-hmm. right into those spaces. So, so it, it, it it was uh, in that sense that I wanted. So, so this there's this emphasis in the book about grounded right grounding electricity and it's yeah upon, you know you gotta do those. Of those and you know a lot of people you know told me you need to tone it down. <laughs> I'm like no, <laughs> I'm like no, you know I'm gonna exploit them as much as I can. And it also you know, it, this is a book written in English, obviously, but it, it goes to show, you know, to what extent our own language has been electrified, yeah. right? Uh, so in Spanish, it's a little bit different. But uh, yeah, so so anyway, so in um, I was trying to get away from that, right? I, I And, and that does not mean that I, I'm going to cut off Mexico from mm-hmm. the world because it's, it's impossible, right? Uh, we have the main companies uh, in the 19th century. Uh, they are, at the beginning, they're British and they eventually become uh, German and then Canadian and American mm-hmm. companies, right? So those networks, those linkages are yeah. there, right? Uh, and, and and I do, I, I, I you know, I, I bring them into the picture uh, to um, to see how this electric scape is expanding, right? Uh, but they're not in the center of the story. Yeah, like I, that's not my interest to follow the capital and to follow the technology, the 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 uh, the machinery itself. Like I I I, I want to. Uh, and, and that's what I wanted to do, you know, uh, 
look from the ground yeah. up pretty much as much yeah. as possible right uh, uh there are limits obviously as to how much you can actually uh, uh it, it has to do with your your documents um, you tried though i can so yes. i can attest to that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you worked a lot harder at that than a lot of people have in the past so congratulations yeah so, so then you know it 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 uh, uh allows you to document how these electrify environments were neither natural or inevitable, mm -hmm. right? Uh, something that you know Gooday does for uh, Britain, and then Christopher Jones does for you know energy and energy transitions yeah. in the U.S. Right? That you have to actually uh, go back to that context and see all the possibilities. Mm -hmm. Right. So for me, for instance, uh, in the case of the different in, in the first chapter, I talk about the, this spectacular uh, view of Mexico City uh, that had four different lighting regimes at the same mm -hmm. time. Right. It had oil in certain areas. It had gas. It has uh, turpentine and then electricity. And they were all commingling. Yeah. Right. And, and as one was expanding, you know, the other ones would move outwards and, and that way. And at one point, you have a new a new gas, uh, Solarina, right? It's Solarina, and it's it, this is a Mexican uh, company that it, it's introducing this, uh, and they get a concession, and that from being a really small concession starts mm -hmm. to grow because the luminance, the type of light it's giving, it's really good. So it's comparable to electricity mm. uh, in, in, in terms of, of its uh, lumen. Uh, so in that sense, you know, it, 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 com it complicates the fact that, you know, there were other yeah. ways uh, uh, that people were testing and, and that electricity, you know, did not just arrive yeah. to dominate, dominate, uh, dominate. Oh my God, I'm forgetting. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, there's contingency, right? <laughs> Dominant. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So there's pushback. You know, people are 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 critical of it when it first arrives, mm -hmm. um, and uh, they they're challenging. You know, there are all of these concerns about the 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 problems, right? The there's concern of whether or not uh, it would cause ITCs. Right for for people that are actually working under yeah. the light, uh, in particular. So uh, it was in those in those moments that you 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 began to understand that you you know uh, uh, that it it was much more complicated. Yeah. And, and in following the big net networks, you know, uh, uh, you lose all of that. Yeah. Um. It's funny, in the U.S. case, when I'm talking to students, I like to talk about, like, um, trucks, but also, like, planes flying over with spe loudspeakers pointed down. This was, like, something people tried with ads for a while, like, just flying really low over towns. Or there was also, and you might have bumped into this, I can't remember if this is in the book or not, is um, uh, here in the States, they tried these giant uh, light towers. So instead of having street lights mm -hmm. throughout, you know, you just have these enormous towers that are like a hundred feet tall with huge lights on them. So yeah, yes. So so those towers were actually uh, were part of the experimentation in Mexico City. Uh, there were at least two of them that were established, as far as I can tell. But I I then didn't get uh, to hear or to be able to document the response yeah. to them. I just know that they went away yeah, yeah, yeah. really fast. There's this wonderful journal so the from the, it might be late 19th century to early, like mid 20th century. It might even still be around in some different form, but it's just called the American mm -hmm. City. And it's like, um, it's a, it's a, 
journal where people wrote about new technologies for managing cities, but also um, they would just there was lots of ads for stuff in there. So you can kind of see all the stuff that people were mm -hmm. like trying to sell cities to manage stuff like light. And you can find the trippiest stuff there from like the in the teens and the 20s. You're like, whoa. So that, that was a thing for a second. So like, I, I'll always love that, especially with undergrads. I think it's it's a lot of fun. Yes, I mean, I and and, and I, I I mean, I have talked in the past about you know as a historian, you know, go to the archive and then you try to get as much as possible. Particularly if you are going from you know you have to fly thousands of miles to get yeah. to the archive, you you really want to document mm -hmm. as much as possible. And sometimes you miss things, yeah. right? So you end up you know there's something you read. And don't actually uh, write down. So there was mm. one case, for instance, in which people were complaining of uh, the municipality, the, the ayuntamiento, spending so much money and dedicating so much money to uh, alumbrado, to public lighting. And 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 they said, well, you know, one of the ways in which you could have people that are out there at night, they should be the ones paying for. It. I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two-minute meals. Factor meals are ready to eat in heat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. They're flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math, and this is important. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash NBN50 and use code NBN50 to get 50% off. That's code NBN50 at factormeals.com slash nbn50 to get 50% off. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Oh, so it'd be like a one toll. of the, the ways, <laughs> yes. So what they wanted to do is to have these boxes below each oh my light, God. right? Yeah, and then you would have to deposit yeah. a coin, and they will light up maybe a hundred meters, and you have so much, so, so much time like, to transfer oh that area, God. and then you could just light your way, you know, th through the night as as you went back and forth, and and then so it wasn't the individual. Yeah. Then, you know, that the they have. I'm going to erase this in everyone. the eventual <laughs> podcast because we don't want like neoliberal city managers and mayors getting a hold of this idea. They're like, yes. <laughs> tolling light. That is the best idea. So we're going to go ahead and cut. No, I won't actually cut out this <laughs> <Okay>. section. <but. laughs> so let's just kind of like get, you know, on the table, like just the basics. So, like, how and when did electricity first come to Mexico and kind of like what was the, the, mm -hmm you know, the primal scene of electricity in Mexico. 
Yeah, so, so the first experiment was uh, in the early 1880s, and uh, it began with 40 lights, 40 lights that went uh, uh, up uh, around the uh, uh, Paseo de la Reforma. Uh, and, and this was like the most prominent uh, area of Mexico City, obviously. And uh, it, it, it went up for uh, a celebration, for a, a civic celebration. And uh, it, it they remained up for a while. And then that's when the discussion began uh, in the Ayuntamiento, uh, whether or not this uh, was uh, a technology, right? Uh, 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 a lighting system that could benefit, you know, from expanding into other areas of the city. Uh, so so some, some of the uh, discussion then begins at that time in the 1880s. And obviously the, the discussion, as I said, as I mentioned before, doctors, you know, chiming in and, and actually uh, putting this up at their uh, uh, national, uh, like the national uh, um, uh, medicine, uh, uh, the institution, for national for national medicine, I, I I'm blanking mm -hmm. on the name right yeah. now. But uh, so what they do is that they bring up this issue that there's too mm -hmm. much light, and that was a problem, right? Uh, uh, at the beginning, because you had the brush mm -hmm. arc lights, which you know the, the they were measuring thousands uh, mm -hmm. candlelight, right? All of a sudden, so it, it's a different problem. Right. It's a different problem, and they're trying to assess whether or not uh, this is uh, an issue, and whether or not this is an issue that doctors should be looking mm -hmm. into. Um, and uh, it is, you know, in different meetings, uh, the same issues brought up uh, around different uh, uh, mm -hmm. phenomena, right? So the first one what had to do with uh, IDCs and whether uh, people that were going transversing these areas uh, were going, like just like Doña mm -hmm. Candelaria, right? Whether or not they will have, uh, you know, their, their eyes were yeah. hurt uh, uh, after being exposed to that light. And uh, so that was the first. And then uh, that doesn't go away, obviously, because uh, they were calling for additional uh, studies to be undertaken in Mexico City in particular to determine whether or not there was enough data to determine, you know, this is not the type of lighting that we need because it's causing uh, uh, eye strains. And then thereby we need to, you know, test out yeah. other types of lighting. Uh, and then eventually they come back, you know, there's there's this uh, uh, explosion in the mosquito population. Mm. Uh, and they're, they're tracking it down again to, you know, it's, it's the electric yeah. lights that are causing this, right? Uh, and, and it's really interesting, you know, uh, then studies are, and, and, and um, uh, doctors from a number of areas, backgrounds are coming to discuss this. And the last, you know, the last uh, type of debate uh, uh, in, 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 uh, in the Academia de, de Medicina, it's one dealing with plants, mm -hmm. right? And, uh, you know, this, uh, um, this Montezuma uh, trees uh, in, in 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 which Mexico City is popular for because these are centennial, yeah. you know, trees. Um, the Aguahuetes, uh, uh, there was concern that uh, they were not, uh, uh, they were being hurt by the light mm -hmm. itself because they were uh, awakened throughout uh -huh. the night. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, 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 you know, as far, uh, as long as there was no definite answer on the effect of yeah. electricity and electric lighting to not only uh, the hum human eye, but also to animals and to uh, plants, those types of anxieties mm -hmm. uh, remained. Right? Yeah, and I, I want to make clear to listeners that um, 
there's a couple topics we're going to talk about uh, together that uh, <laughs> they might sound goofy, but there were very similar worries in the United States and Europe about the health effects of light. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of things where it, I don't want it to seem like, oh, this is just something goofy that was happening in Mexico because it's totally happening in the U.S. Anxieties about glare and all this kind of crap. So, um, yeah. So anxieties and fears were were. Uh, widespread yeah. like all over right wherever experimentation was happening uh and obviously in my case i'm trying to document how how mexican intellectuals mexican professionals yeah. were responding to this and also people like doña candelaria you know they ended up in the novel uh how regular people were uh, uh responding right sensing yeah. in a sense that that changes on that's the right um, so can you tell me about the the president uh, during this period that you look in in the first half of the book? His name? Can you say mm-hmm. his name? Or yeah, and and so you know, famously, Americans like me are not taught like Mexican history at all or Canadian history, <laughs> even though they're our neighbors. Um, but you know, uh, this guy he's president for over thirty years, like thirty one years, maybe disconnected by four years, but like a long time yes and and he's a mm-hmm. com- modernizer in a lot of ways so w- what does d- kind of like how does the technology of electricity and electrification connect to con- his kind of nationalist visions and modernizing visions that he's putting forward during this period yeah so, so porfirio diaz comes to power in 1876 uh he will take a break after four years and then come back and not leave until the revolution, yeah. right so so you know he implements this uh very violent uh, uh enforces this uh violent uh regime of peace and order mm-hmm. right and and this is a, a very uh positivist i guess uh um even the, the technocrats around him, yeah. you know, they are dedicated to transform the society uh, by the principles uh, coming from uh, scientific uh, governance and also the the uh, the expansion and uh, wide implementation mm-hmm. of technologies. Right. So they are wedded to, you know, this new way of governing uh, uh, the population. So they are backing major uh, uh, technologies and technological projects, let's say, around the country to unify the country yeah. first, right? And also to fortify and allow for this uh, um, expert-based economy to take root, right? So this is what happens. Uh, uh, so there are a number of uh, transformations throughout the country and yeah. um, and uh, among them, obviously, uh, it's the uh, it, it's a beautification mm-hmm. of the cities, right? So there's with this new new model of the economy, with the expert based economy, you have uh, uh, increased income, obviously, for the government, and some of them some of that is being funneled towards uh, the cities and and obviously being the jewel of the nation, Mexico City has to represent, right? So the most uh, 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 funds ended up in Mexico City. Um, in terms of electricity in particular, you know, I I eventually, I every major event, every major uh, milestone in terms of the electrification of the city, uh, Porfirio Diaz was sure. Yeah, to- yeah. Right. So he was present. So so he, you know, he he eventually develops a close relation with uh, uh-huh. Edison, and and I found some correspondence between uh, uh, them, and eventually the only voice recording out there 
uh, of Porfirio Diaz is it's it's a cylinder ah. that he actually dedicates to Edison, right? Telling him, applauding what he had done, right? Uh, 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 what he had done around the world through uh, his inventions, but particular through uh, electricity, yeah. right? And what he had done with electrical lighting uh, and, and electrical implements in general. So, um, I mean, I. I, I do want to go back because there's there's a lot more there about exhibitions and these types of yeah. exhibitions of different technologies in, in Mexico City during the Porfiriato, which become right uh, part of these elite outings in which people would yep. host. You know, it, it's the same time cinema is coming into mm -hmm. place, right? So you have this very private and very uh, elitist, yeah. obviously. Uh, uh, um, uh, meetings in, in private spaces and you have people, you know, actually connecting to people selling yeah, the yeah, machines yeah. themselves. Uh, so, so there's a different way and, and, and there's this connection. So there's even, uh, you know, in terms of uh, the telegraph, telegraph uh, uh, mm -hmm. mail and other types of services that were being, uh, you know, Describe at the time as potential uh, uh, yeah. projects, uh, potential schemes. So, so in all of that, he's for Rito Diaz. I think it, it's infatuated with with those types of of displays yeah. of technological systems. Yeah, I mean, it's a very Edison's doing the same stuff. You know, some of the scenes you describe remind me of these famous. I can't remember. There's this. One, I should have looked this up, but there's this famous Edison story where he invites investors up to his lab and, like, he he gives them a fancy dinner and like they don't really know what's going to happen and then he turns the lights on you know and it's like Woo! and it's like the same kind of like super elite but there's also <laughs> enough journalists in the mix so the word gets out of it into the public and mm -hmm. you know there's this there's this inside outside tension all the time you know like it's got to be insider but enough outsider so that people can at least be envious they're not in the room with us and you know so mm -hmm. uh yeah, there's there's actually now that you're saying that it, it reminds me, you know, um, when Porfirio Diaz uh, went on his honeymoon, right? He he married this uh, uh, socialite who was like. 30 yeah, years yeah. younger than him. Uh, and, and they go to New York and uh, one of the places that he visits, it's Edison's lab. Oh, yeah. right? So he, so so I don't, I, uh, I I haven't found, you know, documentation about that yeah. visit itself. But in the recording, he actually mentions that, right? He mentions that, you know, that he saw it firsthand, yeah. right? So, so definitely that and it's, and it's part of this exhibitionary uh, culture of the second half of the 19th century in which, you know, electricity finds, you yeah. know, at, at the same time, it's, it, it, it is part of, and it also amplifies at yeah. the same time. So in the second part of the book, you really turn more to um, kind of, you know, bo bottom up ground level kind of reactions to, to these systems. And, um, to some degree, uh, this comes out in your book as well, but I, I was d double checking something about you today and I was noting that you have not one but two articles examining the intersections between humor and class in electric streetcar accidents. So <laughs> tell us what's so funny about streetcar accidents. Oh, Lord. Uh, well... I don't think there's nothing funny about it, but you know the way in which they become recurrent yeah. in a way, and, and people begin to make fun of them and document yeah. them, right? Uh, at least, and also criticize the way the press is actually uh, 
trying to discern who's guilty of, of the accidents. So I, I have one in which, you know, it's um, the first article that I published uh, has to do with humor and uh, humor around the testing of uh, different mm. patents of defenders in Mexico. So so the fender problem, you know, it's, it's, it's a widespread yeah problem around the world where electric uh, uh, street, uh, street cars are, are, are being introduced. And uh, in Mexico City, that was obviously the case as well. There were a number of accidents that were construed differently. Obviously, uh, it was construed as um, this uh, inability of the lower classes in particular to either navigate uh, electrified spaces, technified spaces, but at the same time, you know, the the individuals driving the electrical cars were also, you know, criticized because they were unable to handle mm -hmm, modern mm -hmm. machinery. And that was a bigger yep. problem, right? One thing is that uh, people were run down because you don't know how to assess danger yeah, on the streets. Yeah. That's, that's on you. But the other one, you know, echo and, and, and the concern was, you know, if this is is happening to the lower classes, the, the working classes, an inability to handle modern material. That's yeah. a bigger problem, right? So um, anyway, so w with uh, with that, there were a number of uh, patents that were uh, that were filed in Mexico uh, with different types of fenders. Um, and then uh, there was uh, uh, they were tested out in the public on the streets, obviously. Uh, so there were public events, and in many cases, the inventors would actually put an ad on the newspapers calling for people to come in and uh, testify, witness uh, their marvelous, uh, obviously, uh, uh, invention. Uh, so they would become really public events. Uh, in some of them, the president hmm. was there. Right. Yeah. Once again, uh, looking from the balcony, right from the presidential balcony, and then in the test, you know, they were they were uh, testing with uh, uh, mannequins, uh, and 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 they eventually become a more dramatic when you know the inventors themselves you know they would substitute the mannequin because they were so confident mm -hmm. of the invention themselves so so they were really dramatic and but in the coverage in the press coverage of those of those inventions uh they were being criticized mm -hmm. and uh and, and even the, the you know the way in which accidents were covered there was a lot of humor uh, there were ways, and this is black yeah, humor, yeah. right? Uh, uh, for 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 those familiar uh, with Mexico, humor mm -hmm. negro, right? Really dark mm -hmm. humor, uh, uh, and uh, this was this was highlighted in in discussions about the patents and whether or not they were working and what they were doing to the bodies of those that were being run down on this. And so you see it because it's like fits into the second part. You see this as a kind of the tension between these electricity systems and kind of the citizens, right? The people on, on the road. Is that what you want to draw out for readers? Yes. I mean, it, 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 it has to do with what they make made of the problems, yes. right? The problems that come with a new technology mm -hmm. and uh, how the discussion itself drove uh, uh, the attention away from the machine itself and the yeah. companies. Right. And towards the, the, the individuals that this was a problem that, you know, in order to uh, 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 decrease the number of accidents and uh, 
what needed to be done is is uh, to reform yep. behavior, yep. right? So so individuals had to discipline yep. themselves. They had to learn how to navigate the streets, how to stop in the corners, how to assess danger. So there's this whole idea, and in Mexico, obviously, this is colored uh, with uh, uh, racial, uh, racialized mm -hmm. language, right? Um, so there are uh, labs, uh, being uh, established around the world, particularly the U.S. and Europe, about uh, to assess attention and attention span. So attention becomes yeah. a problem in the second half of the 19th century, right? Particularly as factories are expanding and accidents are, you know, there's a way uh, in which they want to uh, quantify and they want to prevent accidents and blah, blah, blah. So attention then becomes yep, a problem, totally. right? Uh, in the 19th century. It's not, and, new. It's not a um, new problem in, with in, cell phones, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so then at, at that point, uh, those who lack attention yeah. and who are unable to respond to stimuli in the city are found to be either on the, the underclasses, the lower classes, the, the pueblo. Uh, in, in the terms used at the time, or uh, provincianos, people from outside of Mexico City, right? So there's this ridiculing yes. of of, uh, of of provincianos of of the yeah. rural folk, yeah. So, so in the U.S., it happens something yep. similar, right? With the walking uh, when the car is introduced, yep. right? Uh, so and so, it's similar yeah. about it's so about it's jaywalkers, part... which are is a jay is another word for hillbilly, mm -hmm. so it's another way of. It was basically the hillbilly walkers, the people who don't know the rules of the road in the city. So, you know. Yes. So, so, so the assessment is really yeah. classed, but as it's also in the case of Mexico, it's rationalized mm -hmm. as well. And what's interesting, you find, uh, I find this not only through textual analysis, but also visual mm -hmm. analysis. So in the way- in Yeah, which, you have wonderful um, cartoons. Big, big, yeah, victims. Yeah. yeah, victims are being depicted. These are, I mean, the attire yeah. and then the facial characteristics are indigenous, huh. uh, lower class dress as well. So so there's a double reaffirmation of who who the, who who the are part of the problem, right? So it, on, it, sadly, it turns out we're both historians of attention and of in the early. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, like, I, we got to stop because we could talk about this for like yeah. four hours. Uh, well, I mean, I think probably for in your in my mind, you're kind of like best known for your chapter on electricity theft. Maybe that's because I saw you give a talk on the topic, but this mm -hmm. is just kind of like how you are in my head. So, uh, you know, yeah. how'd you get it? And so you have this wonderful chapter on electricity theft and the problem the problem mm -hmm. in quotation marks of electricity theft so how'd you how'd you get into this topic mm -hmm. how, how'd you find it so so the place of diablitos this these devices to steal electricity in mexico city are widely okay. known right images of electric uh, electrical theft are are, are really uh, are mm -hmm. everywhere Right. So it, it happened to me. So I was early on in the research. I think I was doing pre-dissertation research and I was uh, riding the subway in Mexico City. And they have on and off, you know, the, the, the company, the electrical company would have campaigns against power uh -huh. theft. Okay. And I remember seeing posters, right, of like 
don't steal power because you know you're going to damage your electrical appliances. Uh. So say no to the diablitos and things like that. And it was everywhere, right? This this is I mean this also this also tells you how how old we are, right? And how far back we actually began looking at this because I remember some of the uh, the cards that you need to use uh, public phones. Some of those cards actually had uh, images from uh-huh. those campaigns, right? So it, they were part of the the PR of those oh, campaigns, so and uh, so, so they're there. Like say yeah. no to the diablitos, right? Or or you know re reemphasizing the fact that to steal electricity is yeah. a crime, right? Uh, so that's the first, you know, it, it, I already knew that that in uh, in images of of the outskirts of Mexico City and you know the tangles of of, of wires all yeah. over, you know, uh, uh, the place uh, are, are are really huh. common. So so I knew that I wanted to do something like that. Uh, but what I I I was actually I I came to power theft. Uh, in the archives by serendipity, I would say. Uh, so uh, I, I mentioned, and, and and you were there for that talk, you know, I mentioned that I had this uh, initial idea to look at the archive for uh, the main... Um, the main company that had uh, supplied electricity to Mexico City throughout the 20th century, and that was the Mexican Light and Power. Eventually, it uh, when it was nationalized, it became uh, Lucy Fuerza yeah. del Centro, right? So they, when the first time I went uh, there uh, to the archive, they were beginning to, you know, go through the documentation. They were still digitizing some photographs. I mean, it was really early on, and I was really excited because I was like the first person to go there, and they would tell me, you know, no, oh, you are a historian. So they really wanted yeah. to know something about me because they had never seen one, right? Uh, anyway, so I was really excited too. But then uh, in 2009, the federal government uh, took over uh, that that company and actually shut down uh, and 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 uh, put out of work the the uh, electrical workers associated with the Sindicato Mexicano de Electricistas. So then. Uh, there my archive went because it was closed down. They didn't know what was going to happen to it. Uh, it took years. It took about, uh, I think, six years for that archive to eventually be transferred to the National Archives and to be accessible wow. to scholars. So I found myself without an archive, right? I was there uh, without an archive. So then I started looking at um, legal cases because yeah. I was interested. Uh, I was interested on whether or not some of the... Um, uh, uh, individuals that had been injured by uh, by the tramways actually filed a, mm-hmm. a suit, right? So, so that's where I ended up in the judicial uh, archives, and um, to my surprise, because I, you could enter a keyword, right? And so I would enter the, the name of the company, and then the other company kept coming up. Uh, and we powered uh, them. And I remember the first case was over a hundred pages, wow. and it had so much juicy yeah. detail. And I'm like, oh my god, I found a jewel, right? So then I kept going back. I remember I spent many, many days uh, documenting all of those cases, and and I only used some of them uh, in that chapter and in that article because there were there were just yeah. too many. Uh, but uh, yeah, and there were some interesting ones that that I left out uh as well 
But uh, yes, so so they provide you a different way of, uh, you know, assessing how electricity was being brought into different spaces, you know, uh, factories, uh, into uh, uh, residential homes, uh, small shops, uh, uh, the the tortilla mills as well, you know, the, the molinos, all of those places. And uh, so I, I was really captured by by that type of uh, detail uh, uh, narration, narratives of the, the way in which ele- e- e- individuals were actually uh, using, consuming electricity, but in their own mm-hmm. terms. So, so uh, yeah, so I spent a lot of time in, in, in going through those I files. I, I especially like, um, I mean, this is another topic where I feel like we need more work on this in the States because I think it's more common than people uh than the literature so far recognizes and utility mm-hmm. theft in general i told i told you when you gave that talk that I knew this guy in college who like he was a former cable worker but just i won't tell people how i know this but just for like like smoking him <laughs> up he would like uh connect people to uh cable you know and this was like how he was known Mm -hmm. he would just get like he got paid in weed basically by people around town Mm -hmm. and would just like he just went from place to place and and hooked him up and it's just like i had flashbacks of that while reading your work because it's like the 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 people trained to do the the electricity work are very often the exact vectors for this illegality and i just i just find that totally fascinating you know Yes, and and it happens with this technology and and any yeah, other technology exactly. in which you know there's room there's the certain power that uh, workers actually have over consumers and there's always negotiation yeah. and in that negotiation you know uh, uh, any and in surveilling and policing consumption you know uh, workers are not always a hundred percent interested in safeguarding the company's yes interest, right? exactly well I mean yeah and then also I mean uh, you know listeners should. Uh, Phil Scranton, the historian of technology, has a book coming out on Hungary. And, um, you know, he has a, a, you know, it might be a whole section of the book on the what he calls the theft economy. And for Hungarian workers, it was very often more profitable to go do like to not show up to work and go do like maintenance and repair work or probably steal a utility stuff like on the Mm -hmm. side than it was to actually go to work. So there was tremendous amount of just like skipping jobs and going work in the black market. So there's, I mean, I think this is just like a lot, there's a lot more to be said. And obviously our, our mutual colleague and my colleague here at Virginia tech, Fabian uh, Prieto Nanez, uh, has, is working on this stuff too. So there's so much to be said about these yes, topics. Yes, definitely. I mean, <laughs> looking forward to it. I mean, we're talking, uh, uh, and, and I think Fabian was the one that, you know, I, I met him just before I, I wrote that yeah. chapter, uh, that article, and he helped me, you know, beef up a little bit about the, the, the intersection of crime and illegality. So cool. And uh, definitely that's a, there's a lot there too for us historians of technology. Yeah. So I think we're going to have to skip the third part of your book, which is sad, but it's good because we get to leave some for people. So they buy your book and go check it out. I especially love the um, the chapter on do- domesticity. Um, it reminded me of like mm-hmm. the Mexican Ruth Schwartz Cowan or something like that. There's a lot of really great stuff there about different. I mean, I like this stuff about electrical appliances because it's like feels very mm-hmm. similar, but it's also different. You know, like the uses are different, like mixed drinks and stuff like that. But all right, we're going to skip that. And I want to say you end the book with um, 
with the nationalization of the electricity system in 1960. So what, you know, like what did nationalization mean? And, you know, how does it kind of close out the story you wanted to tell? Why did you, why, why did you land, decide to land there? Well, I mean, I, I, I decided to end it there. There were, I mean, I, I remember the first person that was from a press that was interested in the book, uh, they said, well, you have to bring it to the press. And I'm like, no, you're, yeah. no, I, I will not go to the present because I, I knew that I wanted, you know, for each chapter to have, to be in, written in such a textured yeah. way that it would not make justice for me to jump from 1960 yep. to the present. That's 60 yeah, yeah, years yeah. and a lot happened, right? So I did my best, you know, in the last chapter to document, you know, the ways in which politicians and workers actually uh, um, deployed certain uh, um sentiments of nationalism of masculinity and all of that uh to defend the natural resources of the of the of the nation right in order to secure benefits yeah. obviously for them and in in the context of industrialization after uh the second war uh second world war uh so i i, I knew that 1960 would be a, a good ending point because then the drive to move this story into the countryside, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. There was, uh, uh, even though, you know, the, the, the Comisión Federal de Electricidad, uh, uh, you know, this, this, this national agency, uh, agency in charge of, of electrifying the countryside, but also expanding the national grid and, and it first, obviously building it and then expanding it, uh, they had been working since the 1930s. Uh, so the 1960s then, you know, it, it allows me to uh, bring the story to an end in the way in which individuals were driving yeah. the story and were the ones uh, behind it, right? In, then in 1960, as I said in, in the conclusion, the narrative begins to change mm -hmm. at that time uh and it becomes very presidential yeah. right it, it becomes it, it follows the president around and and the president giving granting right um granting the uh 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 the, the electricity the, the yeah. infrastructure to the people when up until that point you know People had been individuals on the ground had been the ones driving the electrification process, mm -hmm. right? I uh, one of the arguments uh, that I I put together in that chapter is that the state is a latecomer, mm -hmm. right, into the picture, and 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 I wanted it that way because it, they show up, even they 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 their efforts to regulate the industry, to regulate companies, to regulate rates, it's really, I mean. It, they began to do that in the late 1920s, yeah, yeah. right? When when there has been already like 40 yeah. years uh, of electrical companies. Uh, so 1960s, I mean, also I was, uh, I, I think I, I didn't have, um, as I said, another story in another space yeah. to cover because the, the book moves, moves uh, uh, chronologically, but also it moves from different mm -hmm. spaces. Uh, and for me, you know, to bring out the story again into the national platform and bring in national politics and once again looking into the mm -hmm. future, 
right? As the book begins in the 1880s, you know, with the electrical exposition and this idea of how electricity would help industrialize, modernize the nation, uh, that was, you know, very much in, in, in infused and united a number of people across different lines into this vision of the nation. So this happens once again in the in 1960 as you know the effort and the campaigns to, for rural yep. electrification began to to yep. emerge. That's beautiful. And um so you got a lot going on. I know. Um you have multiple kind of angles. So what's what should listeners kind of expect uh next from Diana? What's what's on the what's up next? So I just finished uh, my uh, fellowship. Well, well, my my intensive, let's say, research at the Linda Hall Library for my second book project, which is um, the hydroelectric plant Necaxa. And Necaxa is the main hydroelectric plant uh, uh, south of Mexico City that it's going to provide electricity for uh, the capital in five states around the capital uh, throughout the 20th century. Uh, I'm interested then for that story uh, and the generation part. So I'm going back, you know, after spending the book, uh, the first book on the consumption side, I'm going back to mm -hmm. the generation and I'm interested in uh, a number of, it, it, I'm, I'm going more into the environmental mm -hmm. tech, I would say, um, with the transformation of this really large watershed uh, that was uh, transformed in order to secure enough water for this hydroelectric plant. Um, there's, uh, uh, it's shorter mm -hmm. stories, you know, the span, it's uh, from 1904 to 1914, as I visualize it uh, today, uh, right now. Uh, and it's a story that it's not only about the environment, the transformation of the watershed, but, uh, and then the workers themselves, which are primarily indigenous mm -hmm. workers, up to 8,000 at a time that were, uh, you know, that, that uh, uh, were mm -hmm. displaced. Uh, to work on the site. So it, it, it's a story about displacement and erasure. So displacement of not only uh, these indigenous workers that went to build different dams, uh, but also uh, the technicians, the water technicians uh, from abroad, particularly Americans, but also displacement of capital and machinery from the North Atlantic into Mexico. Uh, and then erasures for the type of erasures of, of, of the towns, mm -hmm. the towns that were flooded, right? Um, and it, it's it's a fascinating project. Obviously, I, I'm going to say that, but, you know, it, it's contemporaneous to the Panama mm -hmm. Canal. Uh, it's it, it's built a, a number of engineers were actually uh, working yeah, at both cool. sites. Um and what is really interesting, and, and this is something that, you know, I, I learned uh, during my stay at the library, uh, of the Lina Hall Library, uh, in terms of innovations, I know this is not, no, no, that, innovations that the place real. to say it, but, you know, <laughs> no, but you know, this is, it, it's a time in which there were a number of engineering yeah. innovations in Necaxa, right? So there the 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 attention of the world was actually uh, placed on, on Necaxa. There was uh, coverage all over the world about what was going on in Necaxa because there were a number of hydraulic and also uh, civil engineer uh, uh, innovations. Mm -hmm. and, and what's interesting that there are a number of innovations there that people are paying attention to. And in the case of Panama, you know, uh, um, the the chief engineer there, you know, in, in his assessment, writing in 1915 about uh, Panama, says 
there are no major engineering innovations. Hmm. Everything, everything at Panama had been tested ah, as well, yeah. uh, elsewhere right. before. So it's really interesting to see. But you know, y- you tell someone about Necaxa, and yeah. they don't know. They don't know about Necaxa, right? And at the time, the eyes of the world were actually placed there. So I, I, I just, I just finished uh, an article uh, that it's going to go somewhere <laughs> uh, in the next month uh, about that, about the 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 making of Necaxa in into this social technical imaginary by foreigners. So I call them technological pilgrims that are, are actually going down to uh to Necaxa are 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 enduring the trek down to to the site which was a a a, a very tortuous uh 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 trail to get there. Uh, and they're documented, they're writing about it. So you have writers, you have journalists, uh uh most of them obviously uh, are foreigners at this time and they are giving you uh, this image of what's going on in Mexico how uh, as one of the of these journalists is saying how water is waking up Mexico hmm. right it's waking up the nation so that's that's where the big project uh, uh sounds awesome man <laughs> Diana, thank thanks so you. much for hanging out for me today. It's wonderful to finally have a chance. You know, we've we've interacted in a variety of ways for so long, but it was really wonderful to have a chance to talk to you today. No, no, Lee, thank you, thank you very much for for uh, inviting me and for being such a great uh, interlocutor for me. I was really nervous, <laughs> you know. I told you, and uh, you know, I I. I I finished the book in the middle of the pandemic and then I put it aside and, and, you know, life continues and the semester starts, but, you know, it's time to go back and, you know, start talking about it again, because this is the exciting part, right? Sharing. Yeah. So thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Peoples and things like most things in this world depends on the work of many people. I want to thank my brother Jake Vinsel for writing the music for the show. I want to thank my buddy Juliana Castro for designing the logos for the podcast. You can check out her work at julianacastro.co. Peoples and Things is a production of Virginia Tech Publishing and the University Libraries at Virginia Tech. Production activities are supported by the Athenaeum, a space in the library that acts as a hub for digital humanities, teaching, learning, and creation. Joe Ford is the Athenaeum coordinator and digital humanities specialist at VT Libraries, and he serves as producer and sound engineer for the podcast. For information about other podcasts from Virginia Tech Publishing, visit publishing.vt.edu. I also want to thank you for listening. Thanks. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.